I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today, Jay Paterno, was an assistant coach for his father for a number of years, helping them win national championships. He's the father of five, had the opportunity to work his way up from a graduate assistantship at the University of Virginia to an assistant coach at Penn State. Our guest will explain what it was like working in Penn State's football organization and how things have changed, whether it be rivalries, the way coaching staffs work, and how recruiting is done. Our guest, Jay Paterno. Welcome, friends. Our guest today is an extraordinary individual. He has uh, made his mark based on his credibility, his trustworthiness, uh, and his ability to deliver. Uh, Jay Paterno, the son of the former legendary coach, has been able to reposition himself after a very difficult family and national situation. And we're here today to talk about his background, to talk about how he moved up into coaching and had the opportunity to coach with his dad and what that was like. So welcome, Jay. Great to be here, Jed. Let's talk a little bit about how you had to work your way up to get on your dad's staff. This wasn't like all of a sudden, because you were his son, you were going to get on the staff. He made you earn it. No, no question. Um, you know, uh, George Welsh, you know, I coached for George Welsh. In Virginia. I started as a grad assistant 30 years ago, whatever it was, with George Welsh. Uh, you know, I played he was, at Penn he was State. Where, he was a graduate at Penn State? or at yeah, was, Well, George... George had been an assistant at Penn State until about 73, and then he went to Navy, did right. great success in Navy, and then went to UVA, I think around 84, I think it was. So I got there about six, seven years later um, as a grad assistant coach. You know, I, it wasn't like anybody gave me a job, and I had to go in there and be a grad assistant and do the grunt work. And, you know, uh, guys don't remember, and you, you know, I was lucky I got there in the video era. And you would know from coaching what it was like making splicing films. Right. So I didn't do that. But there was still the Sunday morning. If we were playing uh, North Carolina, there was a Sunday morning. You'd have to drive to Richmond and the GA from North Carolina would drive to Richmond and you'd meet. It looked like a drug deal. You'd meet at some truck stop and you're handing a guy a box. He's handing you a guy a box. You drive back and then you got to put in. So, you know, all those things. And then went to University of Connecticut for a year as a uh, uh, tight end and wide receiver coach, went to James Madison University for a year as a quarterback coach. And then um, and then that offseason, um, Rip Shear was the head coach and went to University of Memphis. He offered me a job to go there. Uh, I had three or four other coaching job offers. And uh, my dad called and said, would you like, you know, coaches would think you should, you'd be the best guy for us to hire. And I came back to Penn State as the tight end coach and recruiting coordinator and worked my way up from there. Talk about how coaching has evolved from 
your dad's initial staff where he had um, J.T. White and some of the men you mentioned and how it's evolved? Well, I think the biggest thing is the operation. At Penn State right now, we have 77 full-time employees in football. 77. So you, you now, and, and so you've got, you've gone from where it was eight assistant coaches and a head coach and assistant coaches were breaking down film and, and literally film and splicing films and those kind of things to now you've got every assistant coach has an assistant who has an intern. You've got a recruiting operation. You've got a social media operation. So the things that are going on in football, it's really gotten out of control in terms of the, the budgets and things like that and the operation. So uh, I think the head coaches now, part of it's because of media, part of it's because of social media. You've had coaches now that they're not involved necessarily in the day-to-day X and O's of game week. They've got an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator. And I think in some ways this has hurt the game because um, you're not seeing some of the chess matches you used to see. You know, when Lou Holtz was opposite my dad and they would go against each other, Notre Dame, Penn State games, late November, I mean, you could watch the chess match go on and say, oh, well, they're doing this defensively because they know their offenses. You had a head coach that really was kind of pulling those strings and telling the defensive coach, you got to play. So I think with the, what, it, what, do you, what do you want to call it, specialization of labor, you know, the offense coordinator is doing his thing, the defense coordinator is doing his thing, and they're both trying to get the best stats they can so they can get their next job because that's what a lot of uh, alums are looking at. Um, so I think, you know, it's changed that way. And that I think the head coach is not as involved on game day as they, a lot of head coaches are not involved as they used to be. Talk about uh, what your dad's involvement was. As you mentioned, some coaches tend to be the CEO. When I talk to John Harbaugh, you know, he talks about the fact he's the CEO of the Ravens. He's got an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams coach. He's more involved in defense and special teams, not as involved in offense. Talk about how your dad managed that in terms of offense, defense, special teams, what his involvement was. Well, when he was first a head coach, and this always shocks people when I tell them, he called every snap of defense and offense in game. <laughs> every he, snap. I mean, yeah, we, you know, and then, you know, they won, they won 30 games without a loss. So he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't doing it right. Um, but, I mean, the thing now is even later in his career when he wasn't calling offense and defense and all that kind of stuff, he would, he would come in and do something very unique that a lot of coaches didn't do. He wanted to see a continuity tape. And what people that don't know, for people that don't know, a continuity tape was the game start to finish. Whereas, off, you know, when you're on offense, you get Ohio State's defensive tape and you look at that. And he would get a feel for how the, the other head coach would kind of adjust as the game would go. And he would come in sometimes and he'd say, look, guys, you know, we played Ohio State in 05. And he came in and said, look, here's the deal, guys. If we don't turn the ball over, our defense is good enough to, to keep control of this game and we'll get our chances and they'll make a mistake. And we didn't turn the ball over and we won the game 17-10. A couple weeks later, he said, hey, look, we're playing a really good offensive football team. We're going to have to score a lot of points. So you guys have to be ready to take some chances and do things offensively. We might need 31. So be more aggressive on offense. So, I mean, there was, you know, he he always had a feel for what both sides of the ball uh, were going to do. And, uh, was able to kind of really kind of he come down and tell Tom Bradley, hey guys, you know, I don't want you to blitz as much. Take your time. It's going to take three field goals to be a touchdown. We'll stop him in the red zone. So I mean, he always had a real good feel as to the flow of the game, even even later in his career when he was was not as involved so much. But X and O wise, he was always in our stuff. He was always in your stuff, huh? 
Oh, always. You know, hey, you know, Monday night I'd give him the, hey, here's what we're going to do in third downs and all, I'd give him all the stuff in the game plan. And he'd come in Tuesday and says, you got too much on third and five. Simplify this. Why do you like this? Why do you like that? We don't match up here. I mean, he really had a good feel for it. I ran into your dad in recruiting, man, and he was tough. I mean, he, he'd bring <laughs> those parents would come in and your mom would make food for them at, at on recruiting Indeed. visits. He'd go into Tony Patricio's house. They he'd cook an Italian meal for them. I mean, Matt Millen, his dad. I mean, battling all these guys when I was at Michigan, it was nuts. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he was he was everywhere. Yeah, no question about it. <laughs> I, I I think the thing about him in recruiting was this: is you know, uh, I guess it's been summer of 2011. Urban Meyer came up to Penn State when he was working for ESPN, and his son was in our camp for a day or two. And he said, and he, and he got around the building, he met all, met all, all our kids, and he knew some of the guys we'd recruited against him in Florida and gotten, and really had a good feel for our roster. And he said, you know, what is it, you know, in the SEC, if you don't recruit X, you know, the, the, all the five stars in Florida, all these guys, because, you know, what is it your dad been able to do? Like, well, how are you guys able to get such a great group of kids on your, on your roster? And I said, you know, Urban, I think the one thing Joe has always told us is no one guy we recruit is going to be bigger than the program. And what we want recruits to understand is we have more to offer you than you have to offer us. So many guys recruiting now, it's just everything's pie in the sky and, you know, you're the greatest and you're wonderful. And, you know, when D'Antonio was at Michigan State, you know, one of his guys said to me, you know, we got some kids here. They were having a a little bit of a down year. And he said, you know, we've got some kids that like being recruited more than they like playing football. Um, And, you know, so Joe always kind of kept that in balance and challenged kids. And I think the, the really great kids, the guys that really want to be competitors, I mean, you look at Alabama, they're not promising kids anything. They're saying, come on and compete. And the really, the true thoroughbred guys, you know, the guys that are great competitors, they look at that as a challenge and say, yeah, I'm coming. And I think that's one of the things Joe was really good at. Yeah, the, the other piece. Um, talking I mean, he about- ticked off Matt Millen at one point and challenged him. He wasn't good enough. You know, that, so I know you knew that, that whole thing. Yeah. The, Jim Bradley tells a story that, you know, the only reason that he became a doctor was that he had a lab course and that Joe let him take off spring practice mm-hmm. and um, in order to take this class. And that, you know, many coaches wouldn't have done that, but there was something your, your dad believed about academics that was really important. Yeah, no question. And, we, and I, you know, if I pulled out old practice schedules, you would see on, would say late classes, early class, you know, it, you know, we would start our meetings roughly 2.15 every, every day during the week or 2.45 it was. And you'd have kids that had classes till 2.15 and you'd have to give them a 15 minute allowance or so to speak to get in there, get tape. And then we'd have kids that had classes that started at 6.45 in the evening or seven in the evening. So we would have to make sure that you know, uh, Stefan Wisniewski, for example, I think he had a seven o'clock class. So when we went to the last team period, we would move that team period up. So he'd get his reps and he'd be able to leave. And then, you know, we, he wasn't on the punt team or things like that. So we'd move things around in practice to make sure the right guys were in. And that, you know, that got to be nerve wracking as a coach because you like to be in that routine and do things the same way every day. But, you know, on Tuesday, you had to do something with us. But, but at the end of the day, the focus was always on they're, they're students first and athletes second. Well, your mom, though, was an inter- integral part of recruiting and the team and dinners and all that. stuff. So talk a little bit about what her involvement was with the team. 
and how important. Well, you know, on recruiting weekends, every Saturday night, you know, the parents would come over to Joe's to Joe's house, and my mom would cook for them, and they get to spend a lot of time around her. My mom would take the mothers around town and take them shopping, and they they don't, the, the shopping trip in the afternoon. My and you mom guys never paid it. for that, right? They pay for it themselves. Oh, my mom, yeah, absolutely. It was my mom never turned in a receipt or anything like that, but. So they, my mom would take all the all the wives out, even though she didn't drink. She would always make sure they ended up somewhere and had a couple glasses of wine or whatever. And then she she would get great intelligence sometimes. She'd say, "Hey, you know this kid, you know you're recruiting this kid from Florida, and his mom's never missed a game. You're having a hard time getting that kid because it'll be hard for her to get here every week." So she would come back with some. But uh, I think her greatest contribution was she was always willing to tutor. You know, no matter how how good of students you had in, in a group of recruiting. There was always going to be some guys that maybe because of circumstances or schools that didn't weren't quite as prepared for college, and my mom was always willing to tutor those guys, and, and everybody she tutored graduated, and the one guy that didn't graduate on time was a guy named Troy Drayton, who ended up going to the Dolphins and playing for 10, 11 years, and after he'd done the Dolphins, he came back, finished up his degree, and graduation day, he rang the doorbell, showed up in his captain gown and had his degree, and my mom said, okay, I can rest easy now. Every one of you got to the finish line, but she was just really involved in a lot of that. So back in the day, what was the big rivalry for, for Penn State? Oh, when I grew up and really till we joined the Big Ten, it was the Penn State Pitt game at the end of the year. You know, it was, you know, Pitt, you know, when, when Johnny Majors got there, it really ramped up. Then Jackie Sherrill was there, it really got very, very intense. Uh, you know, Foch Fazio did a great job, you know, Godfrey. Uh, really ramped up the, I mean, that, that run in the late seventies, early eighties, I mean, in 81 Penn state and Pitt were one and two in the country at one point. Um, the number of top 10 matchups in that stretch was really good. I mean, from 70, you know, 76 Penn wins the national championship 78. We, we lose to Alabama for national championship 82. We win it 85. We play for it. 86. We win it. So they're in a, you know, in a nine, 10 year span, you had either Penn state or Pitt was playing for the national championship in January. So it was a great, great run. And it was a bitter, bitter ride. I mean, it was, you know, people didn't talk to each other. It was at that height. It was, it was everything that Alabama Auburn is as an in-state rivalry. Today, what's the big game do you see? Well, you know, Ohio State's probably the biggest game we have right now on the schedule because Ohio State's so good, but Ohio State's, you know, they don't like us, but they don't hate us like they hate Michigan. You know, they I mean, they, right. you know, they've got a clock. You know, I've been in Ohio State's building since I stopped coaching and they've got a countdown clock for the for the Michigan game. And I was I went into the Michigan building. I went to Ohio State Michigan game. I think it was 2017, maybe or 2019. Um, and they've got a clock counting down to the Ohio State game. And it was like, you know, we don't quite have that with anybody that reciprocates that like we had with Penn State right. and Pitt. So since we joined the Big Ten, there's kind of a void there. Um, ideally, I'd like to see Penn State. I'd like to see the Big Ten allow Penn State to do what the SEC and the ACC are doing, where Florida and Florida State can play in Week Twelve, and Louisville, Kentucky, and Georgia, Georgia Tech. And I think those are great for college football. And I'd love to see the Big Ten go back to eight conference games and let us finish the season with picks. I think it'd be a lot of fun for everybody at Thanksgiving weekend. Talk about uh, your TV show that you and Tom Bradley, the former. Uh, defensive coordinator and uh, interim head coach are doing. Tom was coaching with the Steelers, and then you know he, he, he was done coaching. And I had done kind of a show. Just I did a segment on a show here for a couple of years, 
And uh, I called Tom and said, look, if you're not doing it next fall, let's do a show. And I said, we can own it and we can start it and get this thing going. He said, you really think we can get this thing off the ground? And over the course of months and whatever, it, 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 it happened. And it's, it's a half hour show. It's called Nittany Game Week. And it's on in nine markets in three states. We reach into all or parts of eight states, uh, the homes of about 16 million people. Um, and we're on Fox and ABC affiliates in Philly and Pittsburgh and Harrisburg, York and Scranton, Seward State College, down into Maryland, parts of New York State. Um, so we reach into all these states and it's a lot of fun. And uh, and then for people who live outside the network, you can actually watch the show every Saturday on NittanyGameWeek.com, which is our website. Um, so it's been it's been fun because what it does is we do a segment. We give you a nine, 10 things to look for uh, when, when you play Michigan. Like last week, we talked about, you know, Michigan's running attack, how they get the ball to tight ends and the, and the receivers, you know, how they pick up blitzes. And if you watch the game Saturday, it was everything we talked about. And Michigan was able to win the game because they did those things. So it's a lot of fun breaking down film and looking at teams and getting ready every Sunday for the, for the show, just like you would when you were coaching. You and Tom putting your coaching hats on and then trying to educate the fans. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it, it's always a fine line because you want people that don't know as much to be able to follow along. Yet you don't want to insult the intelligence of longer-time football fans. And, and, and so it's been, it's, been, it's been an evolving process. But I did that kind of scouting report segment for a couple of years, so I had a pretty good feel for it. It's been 10 years. Your, your dad's legacy on football and what he meant to the Penn State program and, and the football in general. Well, I think for Penn State, um, one of the things that my dad got very involved in was not just the football part of it, but also raising hundreds of millions of dollars for the academic side. Because he was always felt like, you know, the better school Penn State was, the better players we could attract and be on par in terms of academic and athletic success, uh, be on par with or exceed places like Stanford and Notre Dame and those kind of places where they're just turning out great educated football players, you know, and the kind of people you want. So he really built that legacy in terms of the academic success. Um, and I think, you know, when you when you look at it, at the end of the day, he always talked about, you know, the best team, when people ask what the best team will be, it won't be the team that the best record necessarily. It'll be the one that produces the most really productive members of society. So I think that was part of it. From the strictly football side, you know, when we got in the Big Ten, in 93, a lot of people said, you know, nobody can go undefeated in the Big Ten, whatever. And the second year we went in and went undefeated. And then you saw Michigan did it a couple of years later, Ohio State. And the goal went from making the Rose Bowl to let's win the whole thing. You know, let's win the national championship. Because nobody, you know, in, you know, in the Big Ten, the Rose Bowl was the thing. It was it. There was no question. Uh, it, it, having, you're right. Having coached at Michigan, your focus yeah. was, the, was the Rose Bowl. Winning the Big Ten and the Rose Bowl, anything else was actually what you had to Absolutely. And, and, and honestly, God, having been there on game day and coaching it, I get it because, I, you know, I'm standing on the field and I go up in the booth and I go, this really is the coolest game day setting in all I mean, of anything I've been. I mean, there are bigger games or maybe better trips or whatever. But when you get in that place, and you're in the cockpit, so to speak, and you're looking about the game starting, you go, wow, this is Americana. I mean, this is yeah. how many kids grow up in the Midwest and they. You know, five o'clock on January 1st, they turn on that TV and the sun is out and it's gorgeous. And the grass looks great. But um, so that was kind of something that changed the Big Ten. And then uh, a lot of people don't realize the instant replay got to college football because of Penn State. Um, we had no two 
we had uh, a couple of games. We got really, really bad calls late in the game and, and very obvious. And, and then, so Joe started to talk to the, the president of the university and our AD and said, why, you know, we've got all these cameras there. Every game is on TV. Why can't we have replay? And so they went to a vote at the end of that year to try and do it as an, as a, uh, as a experiment experimentally. And, uh, the vote was nine to two, and Joe and it was Ohio State and Michigan voted against it. And my dad said, "What do they know? You know, what do they know?" So then the next year we had another game with two more games, and one where it was just it was a blatant, just the official missed it. And game and late in the game cost us a chance to win the game. And then the Big Ten said, "You know, let's be the pioneer of it." And uh, Dave Perry, I think, was head of officials at the time, and Jim Delaney, and and we really pushed it. And 04, we had it, and we won a game that, you know, we got some calls reviewed and overturned that helped us. And then by 05, it was everywhere in the country. And it really is, you know, now people can't remember a time before it. Well, I know from my perspective of being in the business and recruiting, there wasn't anybody more honest and more difficult to recruit against than your dad. And I did that from Michigan and UCLA. We had the sunlight and we had the darkness. And no matter where it was, he was tough. He was tough. Well, I... <laughs> One of the, there was a quarterback that UCLA got maybe in Bono, I think. Uh, Steve Bono, um, yeah, I recruited Steve him. Bono. So I was I was pretty young at the time. <laughs> I think it was Bono, but anyway. So my he dad, he was from Norris. Yes, right. I think that's exactly what. So my dad, you know, he I would sit in his den, and I would you know play with my toys or whatever, and I'd sit there, and he'd get, take you know he would get calls to recruits, and the recruit called and said he wasn't coming, he'd say, "Well, you know, Steve, I." I appreciate the fact that, you know, I, you know, I, I really wish it would have worked out here, but I wish you all the best of luck, whatever, whatever. Right. And he hang up the phone and my dad didn't cuss, but he would say, ah, you son of a bitch. I hope you hate it there. You know, just, you know, just after you hung up the phone, just like you know, yeah. cleanse the palate, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm a young kid and my dad started, and I've heard the spiel probably a hundred times and internalized at that point. And my dad starts, you know, well, I hope you have a great career there, whatever. And this little eight-year-old voice goes, you son of a bitch, I hope you hate it there. <laughs> and my dad looks over and he covers up the phone. And so he hey, finishes the call. He comes up and goes, Sue, where did he learn something like that? My mom goes, you say that every time. He goes, I don't say that because you don't even realize it. So I, I spent my, you know, all my youth listening to those recruiting skills. Um, but, you know, you know, he, he would say, you know, recruiting's like getting married. You, know, you can tell a couple little white lies here and there, but sooner or later you got to live together. And I think when you look at the transfer portal era that we're in, I think the guys that are the most honest as recruiters are going to do the best job of retaining people. And I think, you know, when you look at Alabama's been able to retain some kids, Ohio State's been able to retain some kids, some of those schools, that you go, how do those kids, you know, stay there? And, you know, we had Brian Greasy on the show uh, this week for the Michigan game. And we asked him about, you know, the transfer portal. And he said, you know, when he got and Brian Greasy won the national title in 97 as a quarterback in Michigan. And he said, you know, when he got to Michigan, he was sixth on the depth chart. And when he was sixth on the depth chart at one time, Tom Brady was seventh. And he said, all we did was, you know, we knew they were being fair to us. And, you know, I tried to work to get from six to five and five to four. And I said, you know, that, I think that's part of what's missing the game right now. Athletes don't want to compete. They want to be given it. Like, like, well, like you said, uh, when you're talking to coaches, they feel more gifted than really wanting to do it. Harbaugh, when he went to Stanford, he told me that, you know, people like to be saying they played Stanford football 
they, it wasn't like they really rolled up their sleeves and wanted to do what it took to, to win football games. Yeah, you know, he created a real good culture there when he was there. I mean, when you looked at those teams, they competed and they, you know, they were physical. I mean, he, he got the way he wanted, for sure. I think he's finally getting it that way at Michigan. At least that was a physical game yesterday that you, the two of you squared off in. Yeah, no question. You know, when I, when, I, when I was getting ready for the show and looked at him, I said, you know, when, when, they, when Lloyd Card left Michigan, they brought in Rodriguez. And I thought, you know, it's going to take Rodriguez a couple of years to get the quarterbacks he wants in there. Right. And then it was, they brought in Brady Hoke. And Brady Hoke didn't have the quarterbacks to really fit what he wanted to get done there. And I thought, you know, if Michigan's patient, I think they're going to get to what Michigan has been. It's run the ball, play action passes, good defense, and they're really good in the kicking game. And I think, you know, they're going to, you know, they he's got, I really like the team he's got right now. I didn't like him particularly yesterday, right. but this week. But, but I looked at him and I go, that's a Big Ten football team. So what's it like being on the board at Penn State? Well, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of challenge and a lot of fun. And, you know, it's, you know, in coaching, you can kind of, rally troops and get them to do things that you want or you just say look this is what we're running on third down when you're on the board you got to work with a bunch of other people and and governing is really an ever-evolving coalition of convenience so um that other board member that you may or may not like may agree with you on something you gotta gotta work together and then you may completely disagree on something else and you gotta you know work with other people so um it's a challenge um, if I ever got if I ever got back into coaching again, and I may or may not. Who knows? Um, I'm still I'm not old yet, but I'm you know. Um, you know, I'm 74 some... today, so. <laughs> yeah, well, happy birthday! Uh, but I look at it and I go, um, you know, there are some things I've learned from being on a board that would really, really help in terms of coaching. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and joining us today and, and sharing uh, thoughts, intimate thoughts that that you have about you and your family and what Penn State football is all about. So I know that's from your heart. It's from your family. And really appreciate you taking time to share those thoughts with us. I appreciate it too, Jed, as well. Thanks so much. 